to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. All right. If you have your Bible, grab it with me and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we have been slowly making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in it for a few months. And we've got through chapter 5. There's a couple more chapters to go. And maybe, maybe you're going, come on, Justin, hurry up. Come on, there's, there's, there's more to go. Well, I'll tell you this. To be honest, I've got a lifetime of preaching. Uh, and we've got a lifetime of, uh, of receiving the word ahead of us. And so we're not moving out of this book. Generally, we're, we're just going to stay in this book. And so I really want us to dig down into this beautiful passage of Scripture. And, um, and, and it is forming, I believe, the culture that God has called us to be. There's a story that I love of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And how many of you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was? Uh, he was a German pastor during World War II, during the Nazi, uh, you know, Third Reich in Germany. And, and he was one of the pastors that did not capitulate to Nazism. He was a part of the confessing church. And as uh, church became increasingly difficult and ultimately illegal for them to gather and to teach the word of God, to baptize believers, Dietrich Bonhoeffer formed this, this beautiful little community uh, that was kind of a Bible school, discipleship school uh, in the, uh, the hills, in the forest in Germany. And it was called Finkenwald. And, and people would come and visit Dietrich Bonhoeffer and visit his disciples. And they would all, often see the, the rigor, the discipline, the intensity with which they kind of ruled all of life. Now, part of it may have been because they're German. Who knows what I'm talking about? That may be true. But they asked him, they said, why does it have to be so intense? Why do we have to get up and pray every day? Why do we have to read the Bible, study the Bible, memorize the Bible? Why are you so intense? Can't we just dial it down? Can't we just take it easy? And one night, Dietrich woke up his students and he took them out to a hill that, that overlooked an SS training camp, the Nazi SS army. And he took them out and they could see the fires burning late in the night at the SS training camp. They could see the planes coming in, landing on the landing strip. And he said to his students, he said, let me tell you why we are so intense. He said, we are so intense because this must be stronger than that. Yeah. This culture, this commitment, this passion has to be stronger than that passion. That culture, uh, Hitler was, was bringing a culture and it was not the kingdom of God. And, and, and as all of Germany and so much of Europe fell under the sway of that culture, Bonhoeffer was saying, we've got to be a counterculture. And, and I want you to know that today we need to be a counterculture. If there's ever a moment in our lifetime that the church needs to recognize that we are not called to just be like the world, we're called to be distinct. In a world that is filled with darkness, in a world that is filled with heaviness, in a world that is filled with despair, we're not called to be like the world. 
We're called to be different. We're called to be a counterculture. And that's what we have been talking about. The characteristics of this, ultimately, it's a kingdom culture. And we've been going through these passages of Scripture. And I want to continue that today in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you're taking notes today, I want to speak to you on the, the thought of a culture of sincerity. A culture of sincerity. And the subtitle is this, a culture of sincerity in an age of celebrity. A culture of sincerity in an age of celebrity. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, take heed or, or be careful. Be intentional about this, that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. If you have your Bible, underline that phrase, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no, what does it say? Reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. That was their, in their time, that was the, um, you know, sponsored ad. Smash that like button. He's saying, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have their glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, be, be so content with secrecy that, that uh, it's almost as if your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. What a, what a powerful statement. And I, I won't read all of the following statements, but Jesus really echoes this same theme in three ways. And here in this passage, he's talking about giving. And how many of you know that Jesus is not against giving? He's for giving. But what Jesus is talking about is how we give. How we give. Do we give to, to make a show? Do we give to impress people? Do we give in order to have the appearance of being a kind of person that would impress people? And that's what Jesus is talking about. This is ultimately, I want you to see this, that this is not ultimately about just two ways of giving. What Jesus is ultimately talking about is two ways of living. Two ways of living. And I want to draw your attention to these two phrases that really encapsulate these two distinct ways that you and I can live our lives. Jesus says this, you can give uh, your charitable deeds in verse 1. He says, to be seen by men. To be seen by men. And then he goes on and he says this, don't, don't, Give to be seen by men, but do it in secret because your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I, I want you to understand that today in 2021, Jesus knows a thing or two about the human condition. He, he knows about culture. He knows about society. He knows uh, about the tendencies of man, even in our fallen condition. And here Jesus is recognizing and revealing something that is innate to all of humanity 
out of our own fallen nature, and that is the tendency to want to impress people. Anybody ever done that before? If you have not, please stand up and fly around the room. We have all done it. We have all done it. Even Jesus was tempted to put on a display before people. One of the temptations that Jesus faced was, was the, um, the temptation to throw himself off of the temple. And Satan said this, Jesus, throw yourself off of the temple, for he will give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. In other words, what he's saying is, Jesus, if you throw yourself off the temple, an army of angels will come, and then everybody will know that you are God. And Jesus said, said this, he he. He said, my time has not come. There will be a moment when I will be elevated, but it will not be, it will not be by an army of angels for self-protection. I will be lifted up on a cross. I will be displayed on a cross. But Satan was ultimately appealing to the temptation of pride. And, and I want you to know, every single one of us, can fall to that, that temptation. Every single one of us. Maybe it's not in some, you know, overt, fancy display. Maybe it's even in, uh, you know, resistance to any display before people. Maybe, it's, maybe it manifests for you, not in some showy expression, but in some resistance to even be seen by people because you're so consumed with what people think about you. One way or the other, we either live our lives concerned and consumed with what people see and what people think, or consumed by what God sees and what God thinks. Jesus is saying there's two ways to live, to be seen by men or to be seen by your Father in heaven. And ultimately what Jesus is getting at, the reason that we should care. The reason why this matters is this. He says, if you do it to be seen by men, you have your reward. You have your reward. I want to focus on that word reward for just a second. You know, some people think that we should not be concerned about a reward, but nothing could be further from the truth in the Bible. Some people think we should, you know, God doesn't want us to think about reward. If we have that word, we can put it up. And, uh, you know, that we should just um, kind of do everything we do. There should be nothing in it for ourselves. You know, I don't get any, I don't get any gratification for it. And, uh, but that, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says this. He says, uh, if you do this in secret, I will reward you. In fact, this whole chapter, or at least up to verse 18, we often think that Jesus is talking about fasting and prayer and giving. And yes, he is using that. But ultimately, what Jesus is talking about is about a reward. About a reward. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a reward. How many of you, if they say that, you know, something's been lost and there's a reward, suddenly you become motivated by it? I know some of us like to act totally selfless and not concerned with getting anything for ourselves. 
And if that were the case, if, if you went to work tomorrow and they said, we know you love this job so much that we've decided to stop paying you so that it, that love can just be a pure love. <laughs> we really want this to be a pure love. How many of you know the love would dampen a little bit? <laughs> the love would dampen a little bit. Now, when, when it comes to serving God, our performance never gives us right standing with God. We, our, our prayers can't, can't make us right with God. They don't give us righteousness. But what we do does position us for a reward. It positions us for a reward. And what Jesus is saying is that I want you to live not to be rewarded by men. I want you to live your life to be rewarded by my Father in heaven. It, men can give you a reward. They can pat you on the back. They can like your post. They can, they can give you a, appreciation. And, and ultimately, I appreciate it. I appreciate the, the acts of, uh, of encouragement today. But ultimately, God's calling us to a greater reward. The greater reward is one day when we stand before him and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the ultimate reward. And even now, the reward of his presence, the reward of joy and peace and life and the things that, that money can't buy and a, an employer can't give you and more customers can't bring to you, that's the reward that God offers. And what Jesus is talking about here is, I want you to live for that reward. I don't want you to abandon the desire for a reward. I want you to live with a greater reward in mind. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says that, that we often are, are like children who are content making mud pies when our father is offering us a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily satisfied. And, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is getting at the, the, the fact that there is a greater motivation than just more money in the bank. There is greater motivation than fame or fortune or a vacation. Nothing wrong with those things. But ultimately, what he's getting at is a, a, a reward that supersedes all of those things. The reward that only he can bring. And, and I want us to understand that this aspect is crucial to understanding the nature of God. I love this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says this, the author of Hebrews says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. You can pray, but if you don't have faith, it, you, it's not pleasing to God. You can worship, but if you don't have faith, it's, it's impossible to please God. You can hear the word, but if you don't have faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen to this. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, a lot of people say they believe in God, but what the author of Hebrews is saying here is it's not enough just to believe in God. We've got to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let me tell you, when you believe that God is a rewarder, it will change the way you live. It will change the, the way you go to work. It will change the way you serve other people. It will change the way you talk to other people. Why? Because you're not just living for the reward of man. You're living for the reward of God. 
the reward of heaven. He's a rewarder. And what is the reward that God gives? Well, here in this passage, we see the reward that man gives. He says that, that uh, you have your reward. In verse 2, he says this, they may have glory from men. And I want to draw your attention to that word glory. Glory. That word glory in the Hebrew is the word kabod. It means weightiness, heaviness. And he's saying that when you live to be seen by men, when you live to impress people, you will get glory from men. They will think that you're a, you know, we use terms like this, you're a, you're, you're a heavy hitter, right? What I'm saying is that word weight, there's, there's weight to you. And Jesus is saying you can have weight that comes from men or you can have the weight that comes from the glory of God. And what God is wanting us to understand is the weight that he wants to be on our lives is not just the weight of the world. It's not the accolades, the accomplishments, the, the performance reviews of the world. He wants to give his glory upon our lives. He wants there to be a weightiness on our lives that when we speak, we speak with weight. We speak with authority, not just because of our degree or some letters after our name. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's something far greater, the glory of God, the glory of God. And I want to draw this contrast. I want to show it to you a little bit more on the next screen. I just want to turn up the contrast I don't know if the TVs still have a contrast button. If it is, I don't mess with it on mine. But you remember you used to, if you wanted a clearer picture, sometimes you'd turn up the contrast, right? I want to turn up the contrast a little bit more. And I think Jesus wants us to get a clearer picture between the world's culture and kingdom culture. Between the culture of the world, the culture of the world prizes celebrity, it's all about performance. It's all about what will people think? What will people say about me? The culture of the kingdom of God is about integrity. It's about integrity. Integrity is what's on the inside. Uh, integrity is, it, it may not be known. It, there's not an integrity section on your LinkedIn page. But there is before God. That word integrity is, it means wholeness. You're the same throughout. An integer is a whole number. It can't be broken down, right? And the same is true of a person with integrity. I remember when we lived in England, there was this candy called a Brighton Rock. Marie or JD, I don't know if you ever had a Brighton Rock, but it was kind of like a candy cane, except it said Brighton Rock in the middle of it. And so you could kind of you know, eat it for a little while and look at it and still say Brighton Rock. Brighton Rock, the word, ran through the whole thing. So anywhere you broke it, it said the same thing. And that's a picture of what it means to live with integrity. And the world values performance, but the kingdom of God values integrity. The world values a public persona. How am I perceived by men? How does it look before men? The kingdom of God doesn't value first public persona. We value uh, private presence. Private presence. The presence of God. Do, do I know what it is to be quiet before God? Do I know what it is to sit 
with nobody watching before God. The, the world's culture is all about self-promotion. Follow me, like for like, right? The kingdom of God is not about self-promotion, but about God's promotion, about God promoting you. The Bible says this, don't look to the east or the west for promotion. Promotion comes from God. The the world's culture is all about being marketed by man. The kingdom culture is about being marked by God. It's about something being uh, the the blessing of God, the nature of God, marking your life. I, I don't know about you, but marketing is exhausting. I'm not saying that there's not a place for marketing, but how many of you know in 2021 when everybody is a brand, it is exhausting. Just keeping up is exhausting. Has anybody felt like that over the last year or two? Like, I just am exhausted from just having to manage this perception. The kingdom of God is about being marked by God. The world's culture is, is about being driven by performance. Am I putting out? Am I producing? Am I... Um, you know, is, am I getting results? Am I crushing it? Am I killing it? But the kingdom of God is not about being driven by performance, but first about being drawn by purpose. Drawn by purpose. The, 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 the world's culture is all about social platform. The kingdom culture is about spiritual power. About spiritual power. The world's culture is about it will, will make us weighted. Jesus says you can get the glory from men. If you have the glory of men outwardly, but you don't have the glory of God inwardly, it will crush you. The glory of man, the weight of the world, the weight of performance outwardly without the weight of God's presence inwardly, you will be crushed under the weight of the world. The kingdom of God is not about being weighted down. It's about being weighty. It's about carrying a weight, an authority. The Bible says when Jesus finished this teaching, it says that people marveled because he spoke as one having authority. He spoke as one having authority and not as the scribes. They they sounded very eloquent, but they didn't speak with power. There was no weight behind their words because they had not been with God. The world's culture is all about being famous. Kingdom culture is about being faithful. And the danger of our day is that it's never been easier to be famous. (laughs) It's never been easier to be famous. It's never been easier to promote yourself. If you, have a, if you have a smartphone, you have a platform. If you don't have a smartphone, congratulations. Nothing wrong with that. I have, a, I have a smartphone. I'm not against smartphones. And I'm not against, let me say this, the things in the world's culture, it's not that these things are bad. It's what is, what is most important. What comes first? You can hear this and you may be thinking, I'm getting off social media, I'm smashing my laptop, I'm moving to a cabin in Montana, and I'm going to be a spiritual recluse for Jesus. Now, how many of you know that may sound good for about a week? 
Dustin, you were just in Montana. You can confirm that is refreshing. <laughs> Sometimes it's good to get away. But ultimately, God has called us not to run away, but to influence. He, he's called us to, to, to have an influence in the world. Jesus didn't live as a recluse. He lived among people. He went to parties. He lived in a city. He worked a job. He was around people all of the time. How did Jesus carry such weight and authority? Here's the secret. Jesus had been alone with the Father. And the more you live in the public realm, the more you need the private place with Jesus. The, the, the more people that are watching you, the more important it is that you have moments away from the limelight, away from the eyes of people, even as a parent. It's important that you make time. I know sometimes that may just be in the bathroom with the door locked and you're just getting your daily bread in the bathroom, right? In the shower, however you have to do it. But it's essential. And, and, and here's what Jesus calls it. Jesus calls it the secret place. The secret place. Let's put that up. The secret place. And, and what Jesus is saying is if you want to know the secret to influencing the world, to having a voice and influencing people around you without losing your soul, the way to do it is you've got to regularly go to the secret place. You've got to get alone with God. Our world prizes the public performance, the public persona, the, the crowds. And Jesus had crowds that followed him. Jesus wants us to have an influence, wants us to influence the world around us. But Jesus never chased the crowds. The crowds chased Jesus. Uh, the, the crowds chased him and he would have to get away from the crowd to be alone with the Father. I've had many people, oftentimes when they find out I'm a pastor, the question they ask is, how many people are at your church? How many people are at your church? And I always give them the same answer. I say between two to 3,000. There is between two and 3,000 people. We got at least two. It's Jen and I, and could be up to 3,000 this week. I don't know. Here's, a, here's what I... What I think, though, I think nobody's ever asked me, how much do you pray? Nobody ever asks, have you spent time with the Lord? Nobody ever asks, uh, what's your prayer meetings like? Do you have a prayer meeting as a church? Everybody's always asking, how many people come to your church? And I'm not saying that we don't want to reach more people, but if the weight of the world is greater than the weight of God within us, it will crush us. The culture is littered with pastors who have had the weight of the world, but they've not had the weight of God within them. And I'm not looking with a finger of judgment. I'm looking, saying, God, help me. God, help me. I, I got to tell you, I'm thankful. I don't know if this is okay, but I'm thankful that this church has not grown yet in the way that I thought it would when we started. And I'll tell you why. I couldn't have handled it. I couldn't have handled it. I wanted growth. I was so desperate to see people come. And there was some of it that's godly ambition. But how many of you know there's a lot of self-ambition in that too? And the place where you test what's God's ambition and self-ambition is when you don't get what you want. And God allows the fire to get turned up in your life. 
to go, there's some self mixed in with that. Let me just turn up the heat. Can you still have joy in the middle of this place? Can you still have peace? Can you still have satisfaction? Can you, can you still love people if it doesn't look the way you want it to look? And that's true for every single one of us. God wants us to rediscover the secret of the secret place. We're going to be public. I'm telling you, there's going to be more people coming in. The problem is not going to be whether or not people will come in. The problem is going to be, are we spending time with God? Are we spending time with God? I love a gathering. But let me tell you this. What's more important than a gathering is a secret place with Jesus. If we've not been alone with Jesus, if there is, you know, 75, 100 people that come in, or two to 3,000 people that come in and have not been in the presence of God. Let me tell you, it's exhausting. What God wants is people that have been alone with Jesus. And when you come to church on Sunday, you're not dragging yourself in because you've, you, you know, it's been two weeks since you've been in the presence of God. What, what God wants is a group of people that when we gather together, it's like somebody poured gasoline on the fire because we have been cultivating a, a secret life with God. We've been alone with God. And somebody says, uh, Pastor Justin, I'm sure you got a word, but I really have something on my heart today. And somebody else says, I've got a word. I've got a word. And I'm not saying that there's not a moment that we need to open up the scripture, but I'm just saying that that life comes in the secret place, in the secret place. There's a bunch of babies over there. There's a bunch of babies that that were out at the uh, out at the volleyball thing last week. There was babies all over the place. You know where babies come from? The secret place. Come on. They come in the secret place. And if, if you want, let me tell you this, God wants to conceive something in you in the secret place. God wants the Holy Spirit to come upon you. It's the same language that Jesus used in Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the same language that said, the Scripture said about Mary. The Holy Spirit came upon her and overshadowed her. When you come in on a Sunday, you should be walking a little bit differently. No offense to the pregnant people. You should be, you should be waddling a little different as you come in the door. Why? Because there's been something conceived in the Spirit. God has birthed something in your spirit. You're carrying a word. You're carrying a dream. You're carrying a vision. There's something in your heart. And not just when we come into this place, but when we go to the world. Let me tell you this. Men and women who have been alone with God change the world. We need not people that have a platform. We need people that have the presence of God. Everybody can have a platform, but have we been alone with God? Have we been in the secret place? Do we know what it is to carry the presence of God, to carry the anointing? That's what Jesus is saying. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I, I don't know about you, but I don't want the glory of man on my life more than I want the glory of God. I don't want people speaking well of me and, and God to not know my name. I don't want to be wealthy in the world's riches and be poor to God. I want to, as Jesus says, lay up for myself treasures in heaven. I want that when my last breath 
comes, I'm not mourning because I'm leaving everything I've lived for. I want that when my last breath comes many, many years from now, that I am partying as I go to the other side because I've been living my life for what is eternal. Amen. I want the glory of God. I want, I want God's power, God's weight on my life. I want to be a celebrity in heaven. I don't care if anybody here knows my name. I want God to know my name. I want to live for the eternal reward. And it comes out of the secret place. Jesus said this again and again. You've got to go to the secret place. You see, the practice of secrecy develops a culture of sincerity. I don't know if you realize this, but there is a performance spirit in the church. <laughs> comes as a shock to bread. It's, and I don't say that as a criticism. I'm, I'm saying it because I've been in it. I've done it. Not intentionally. But when we've not been with God, our, our, our preaching carries no weight. Our worship becomes shallow. When we've not been with God, the worship leaders, they got to try to drum it up. Let me tell you, a slick chord progression can never cover an absence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> nice lighting and a little bit of haze in the atmosphere. And I'm not against that. I like haze. I'm not against it. But that can never cover for an absence of the presence of God, the glory of God. I believe that God is allowing this culture of celebrity. And again, I'm not pointing finger at anybody else. I'm looking at my own self. To be purged out from us so that we can bring the culture of sincerity. That word sincere, although it's not in this passage, and I've really got to hurry. I've not gotten to my points. We've got food out there. Thank you, Hannah. I'll go with that. The word sincere is not in this passage, but I think it's the most fitting description of what Jesus is talking about. Sincere. History tells us, and there's some debate around the origins of it, but the word originally was a compound word, sincere, and it meant in the Greek, without wax. And the origin was that at the time of Scripture and um, in Greco-Roman culture, there would be outdoor markets and bazaars where they would sell all kinds of goods. And one of the things that was often sold was the uh, kind of Roman-looking statues that they would use for decoration at that time. They would be made out of marble or some precious stone. And often uh, the, the salespeople, in an attempt to boost their sales on, on bad stones, would cover in the holes and cover in the imperfections in the statue with wax. And they could fill it in and they could sand it down and they could make it look real good until it got out in the heat. And, and until the sun began to shine on it, and suddenly that wax started dripping down on the statue, and it didn't look so good anymore. And, and that's the, the place that we are often in. When the heat comes on us, when the heat of COVID comes on us, when the heat of conflict comes on us, when the heat of problems and challenges in life comes on us, what, what does it reveal? Is it more of Jesus? Or is it, I've been using a lot of filler in my life. I've been using a lot of filler. I remember my dad and I one time, 
I'm telling on him. He's not here. But I remember he helped me uh, on a project, my first ever building project. He was a general contractor. And, and I remember we had to make this little repair with brick. And um, we didn't have any brick, so we used some filler. We were flipping the house, so we were in and out. It was all good. But <laughs> the moral of that story is don't buy a fl- from a flipper, number one. Number two, um, be careful of fillers. Fillers. And we can use fillers. Light and smoke is great. It can be if the presence of God is there. Great music is awesome. Or it can be if the presence of God is there. Dynamic preaching is awesome. Exciting kids programs are great. They can be if the presence of God is there. And that's what Jesus is saying. You've got to learn to be alone with the Father. I'm going to wrap up which means I've got 15 more minutes. No, Jesus gives us, I am going to close, Jesus, because I actually want us to respond for a moment in prayer. Jesus gives us three practices of secrecy that if we are going to cultivate a culture of sincerity, three things that I believe Jesus tells us we need to do. Number one is secret giving. Secret giving. Jesus says this, when you do a charitable deed, he doesn't say if you do a charitable deed. In other words, the assumption is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to live a generous life. He doesn't say stop being generous. He, he says when you do it, you're going to be generous. But don't put on a show. Don't, don't bring one of those big presentation checks into the church. I'm bringing my tithes this week. He, he's saying don't put it on to be seen by men. Now, some people think that that means that you can't give, that, that you know, if anybody knows that, that you're giving anything, that somehow you're missing out on the blessing. And so, like, they leave a, a wad of cash at the, the door of the church. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He, he's saying that the motivation is to be seen by men. He, he's not saying that people see you. He's saying you're motivated. Your, your reason for doing it is so that people see you. In fact, Jesus actually talks about the woman who gave a little bit, and she gave more than everybody else. And he's, he's, he's talking about it publicly. She was giving, but her motivation was not to be seen. And Jesus says this, that when you give, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I, I want to encourage you as we give, as we are sharing, not just in tithes and offerings to the church, but alms, giving to needy people. Don't just do it to be seen by people. Let me tell you one practical way that looks is I just give to people that I like. I just give to people that know me. I just give to, I'm not saying that I do this. I'm saying this is what you shouldn't do. Just give to people that, that will, you know, you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And Jesus says, you have your reward. But when you give, do it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So number one, secret giving. Number two, secret praying. Secret praying. Jesus likewise says, when you give and when you pray, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door behind you, and your Father who is in the secret place. I love that. In other words, God's already there waiting for you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I think what Jesus is saying is that private intimacy produces public influence.
public influence. Let me ask you this. How is your private intimacy with God? I'm not saying that out of legalism, that you have to do it the way I do it. You have to spend the same time or do it in the same way. Everybody does that differently. And I would say the best time to do it is whenever is best for you. Whenever you're at your best, give God your best. But you need to give it to God. Practically speaking, that may be spend time with God before you check your email. Spend time with God before you get on social media. Spend time with God before you get to your to-do list. And he says this, that, that my father who is in the secret place will reward you openly. There will be a reward. God knows how to handle your to-do list better than you do. So bring it to God. Secret giving, secret praying. And then third, and this is, I'm just taking Jesus' points, is secret fasting. Secret fasting. He says, when you fast... I don't know about you, but I don't like to fast. Anybody else not like to fast? I like a thing called food. I like, I like food. And, but Jesus is saying there are moments where you've got to go into secret and you've got to starve your fleshly desires. I think food is the epitome of that, but I also think sometimes it's, it's abstinence from other things. Abstinence maybe from, again, social media, not saying that social media is wrong, but sometimes it can be the place where we are uh, perpetually finding ourselves filled with the opinions of people rather than the, 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 the voice of God. And so we've got to fast, we've got to abstain from fleshly desires so that we can grow spiritually strong. I love what Dallas Willard says. And Kendall, you can come back up. Dallas Willard says this on secrecy. He says, in the discipline of secrecy, we abstain from causing our good deeds and qualities to be known. We may even take steps to prevent them from being known. We learn to love to be unknown. That's countercultural. And even to accept misunderstanding without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. I've got, to, I've got to share my word. I've got to give my perspective. And Dallas Willard says this, and I think it's in line with the heart of Jesus. Learn to be okay being misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was hated. He was criticized falsely. Do you know what he did? He didn't issue a public statement to set the record straight. He often just kept his mouth shut. Because he understood that his power didn't flow from people. It flowed from the Father. We allow God to decide when our deeds will be known and when our light will be noticed. And that love and humility encourages us to see our associates in the best possible light, even to the point of hoping they will do better and appear better than us. How are you doing at that? I'm a work in progress. Do you celebrate when somebody else gets the credit? Or do you feel like, I, I, I need to be noticed? Jesus understood that his life flowed out of the secret place with the Father. I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to stand to your feet.